For the second straight series, the Orioles failed to sweep one of the worst teams in baseball. But once again, they still got the series win, which can be the most important thing here as they're pushing for a division title. I'll recap the final two games of the Orioles-White Sox series coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, August 31st, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap the last two games of the Orioles series against the White Sox, in which the O's won at 9-3 on Tuesday night and then lost 10-5 on Wednesday afternoon. Still ended up taking the series 2 out of 3, but were not able to get the sweep. I'll get to the five things you need to know from each of those games, including Anthony Santander staying red hot, a really good start from Dean Kramer, and a not-so-good outing from Kyle Gibson. Then we'll finish off the pod with a couple of Orioles news and notes with some updates on some injuries to guys like Aaron Hicks, Adam Frazier, and talk a little bit about the weird waiver situation going on in Major League Baseball at the moment. But... That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Bunches. Download the Bunches app today, and when you do, our friends at Bunches have featured the Locked On MLB Bunch in the Discover tab. You can also click the link in the description and show notes to join the Locked On MLB Bunch community today. So we start today with the Orioles' most recent win, as I was out out in the mountains in Shenandoah, had a great time this week, did not have an episode on Wednesday, as I said would be the case on Tuesday. Back here on Thursday, so got to talk about two Orioles games that have happened since I left you. So let's start with the victory. Orioles beating the White Sox 9-3 on Tuesday night to take the second game of the series and go up 2-0 in the three-game set. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one. And the first thing you need to know is Anthony Santander just keeps coming up huge lately for this Orioles team. This one was the big swing in the game. Santander batting with the bases loaded and two down in the bottom of the seventh inning in a 1-1 game facing the left-handed sinker baller Aaron Bummer. And Santander on a 2-2 pitch gets a sinker that was kind of out and over the plate that he could drive the other way. And he did just that, lacing a bases-clearing three-RBI double down the right field line to give the Orioles a 4-1 to lead in Tuesday night's game. It was part of another big game for Santander, who went 2-5 for five with the double and four RBIs total in this game as well. Also had an RBI single in the eighth inning, which we'll get to in a moment. But he just continued to swing the bat well, has been great since he's come back from that bat injury, back injury, I should say, which we'll talk about. But man, it is just so huge having him in the middle of this order. And it was just another big moment for, you know, an Orioles offense that didn't really have much going in Tuesday's game. Like Jesse Schultons was great, five and a third of one run ball as the White Sox started. He only struck out one batter, so it wasn't like he was super dominant. The O's just couldn't square him up. And then finally they got some runners on in the seventh. And Santander helped them to break it out. But the second thing you need to know from the Orioles' 9-3 win on Tuesday is that once Santander got the big hit, the Orioles' offense once again erupted in the eighth inning. It was a three-run seventh to take the lead, but the Orioles added five more runs in the bottom of the eighth inning on Tuesday to put this game away. Very similar to what they did on Monday. The Orioles scored five in the eighth on Monday to make it a blowout. They did the same 
on Tuesday. And this was against a White Sox bullpen that has just been a disaster this year. Brian Shaw was charged with five earned runs in two-thirds of an inning in this game. Yeah, not good stuff from the veteran righty, but that eighth inning for the Orioles all started with a Jordan Westberg walk, and then it just went from there. Austin Hayes singled, Cedric Mullins grounded into an RBI force out, then he had a little infield single from Ramon Arias, and then Ryan McKenna for the second straight night had a big two-run hit in the eighth inning, had a two-run single Monday night, then McKenna comes up with a two-run double to right center field. Those were kind of the big runs. That made it a 7-1 to game. And then everybody started singling. Adley with a single, RBI. Gunner with a single, and then Santander with an RPI single. All of a sudden, it's 9-1, to and the game is completely on ice, and you just love to see those rallies from the Orioles' offense. Third thing you need to know from Tuesday night's win is that Dean Kramer was really good again for the Orioles. Six innings of one-run baseball for Dean, who allowed a solo home run to Lenin Sosa in the top of the third that gave the White Sox a 1-0 lead at the time. Sosa actually had a big game, went 3-3 three for three with that home run, but that was the only run Dean would surrender. Otherwise, six innings, one run, six hits, five strikeouts, and no walks on just 93 pitches. Just six hard-hit balls against him by the White Sox offense, and he's lowered his ERA to 4.20 on the season and because he's just been so, so good in the month of August, and that continued with this start for Kramer, who had 13 whiffs, but the big pitch was the cutter. Nine of his 13 whiffs came on that cutter, which was his number two used pitch, but just barely. Of 93 pitches, 33 four-seamers, 32 cutters from Dean Kramer on Tuesday night, and the pitch was just dominant. He was getting righties and lefties to swing through it, And the cutter has been the true difference in the month of August for Dean Kramer, who made five starts this month for the Orioles, and you could argue was Zio's best starting pitcher in August. In his five starts, had a 2.87 ERA. Here's a big one. Only three home runs allowed in five starts in August. Home runs were a nightmare for Dean Kramer earlier in the season. And the cutter has been the difference. Opponents hit just 133 against the cutter in August. He had a 33% swing and miss rate on the pitch, the best of any month, and he got opponents to chase that cutter out of the zone 40% of the time. That is a big-time rate for that pitch, which had actually been an issue at times for Kramer. Now it's his number one put-away pitch, and, you know, he can still throw the sinker and the four-seamer, and he's got the change and the curveball in his back pocket. But that cutter right now, that is the one for Dean Kramer, and just keep riding that pitch because it continues to work for the O's righty. Fourth thing you need to know from the 9-3 win for the Orioles in Game 2 of this series is that Danny Coulomb got five huge outs for the Orioles in this one. Now, when you look at the scoreline and you see the O's won 9-3, you don't exactly think, oh, a reliever gets five outs, they must have been high leverage. But remember, the Orioles completely put this game away late. It was a tight game throughout. And in a 1-1 game after Adam Frazier had tied it in the fifth with an RBI single 1-1 even, Dean Kramer actually came back out for the seventh inning and allowed back-to-back singles to start the inning, and that was it for his day. So he actually goes six-plus and comes out of the game, and in comes Danny Coulomb. And those were in a tough spot right there. I mean, that's a really tough spot for Danny Coulomb to try and get out of that jam. Now, he came in to face the lefty Oscar Colas, who helped him out a bit. Colas tried to lay down a sack bunt. Instead, popped up the bunt, Arias caught it, and no runners advanced. Then Lenin Sosa, who had already homered in the game and was a righty, also bunted. Again, not really sure what the White Sox are doing. I mean, they gave him a sack bunt. It moved up the runners, but it was the second out of the inning, so it doesn't really do you much good to move guys up to second and third with two down. 
And then Coulomb on a 3-2 pitch gets Corey Lee, the nine batter, to ground out to get out of the jam, keep it one-to-one. And it wasn't just those three outs, though. Coulomb, after Santander's big hit, gave the Orioles a 4-1 lead. He came right back out there in the top of the eighth and retired the first two batters, Tim Anderson and Andrew Benatendi, before leaving the game. He didn't have any strikeouts, but it took him just 14 pitches to get five outs, and those were huge at the time for the Orioles as he you know, ended up becoming the winning pitcher in this game. And in Danny Coulomb's last eight appearances, he's been really, really good. And now these appearances kind of sit on either side of that bicep injury that kept him out for two weeks, but it's seven scoreless innings in his last eight appearances, two hits, 10 strikeouts, and only two walks. After a little bit of a rough month of July for Danny Coulomb, he has locked it back in in August and been one of the Orioles' best relievers. And speaking of the relievers, the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' series-clinching 9-3 win over the White Sox on Tuesday night is that Shintaro Fujinami pitched again in basically the same spot he pitched in Monday night's game, but Fuji once again kind of swung the other way. After Fujinami came in there in a 9-0 game in the ninth Monday and made quick 1-2-3 work of the White Sox, Fujinami was tasked with the ninth inning again on Tuesday. After the O's got the five-run eighth, it was a 9-1 game. They were initially going to leave Yenyer Kano in there, who Kano had come in, got the final out of the eighth inning to keep it 4-1. I think the plan was, if it stayed 4-1, he goes for a four-out save. Instead, it becomes 9-1. Of course, you want to get Kano some rest. You sit him down, go to another reliever. It's an easy choice. And you go to Fujinami, who I think Brandon Hyde wants to see two things. A, you know, can he pitch back-to-back days? And B, can he kind of keep getting that confidence back in these low-leverage spots? Because Fuji had been good lately including the Monday night outing, coming into Tuesday's game. And his four previous appearances for the Orioles, five scoreless innings, two hits, seven Ks, and the big one, no walks in that stretch for Fujinami. Now, to be fair to Fuji, on Tuesday night, he still did not walk anyone. However, it did not look good. He allowed two runs on four hits, finally getting the ninth inning to end and ending the game because, I mean, Lenin Sosa just forgot how many outs there were and was doubled up to end the game in a 9-3 game in the ninth. That is not what you want to do as a young player trying to, you know, basically get yourself a spot on the 2024 White Sox. But Fuji didn't walk anyone, which was good, but the command, it was still a little bit erratic. And so are we back to square one? No, but a little bit of a dip back downward for Fujinami. Luckily, the rest of the bullpen is generally stepping up at this point for the Orioles, even with Felix Bautista out. But, of course, after the win Tuesday night, Orioles had clinched the series, winning the first two games easily, and had a chance to sweep a bad White Sox team on Wednesday afternoon. And things got off to a great start on Wednesday. Unfortunately, the Orioles could not hold their lead. And they did lose the Wednesday game 10-5 to and could not get the sweep. So coming up next, I'll tell you what happened in that one. Get you the five things you need to know from Wednesday's loss to the White Sox. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Bunches. Now, okay, Locked On Orioles fans, I got to tell you about a new app called Bunches. Bunches is a new app built just for sports fans where you can chat sports in real time. Click the link in the show notes, the description to join the app or go to the Apple App Store and download Bunches right now. I'm telling you, you're going to love the conversations with other Locked On sports fans and specifically other Orioles fans and fans of this podcast. Bunches is the free app where sports fans 
chat. And the Locked On MLB group chat is on Bunches as well. You can go there now and connect with other baseball fans, chat about your favorite team, and keep up with the latest MLB news and the latest Orioles news as well. So download the Bunches app today, and when you do, our friends at Bunches have featured the Locked On MLB Bunch in the Discover tab. You can also click the link in the description or the show notes to join the Locked On MLB Bunch community today. So the Orioles got that win on Tuesday night, 9-3 over the White Sox to take the series, but couldn't get the sweep Wednesday, falling 10-5 to Chicago to wrap up the three-game set. Yes, the Orioles got two out of three, and they ended up... Six and three on the homestand. Had a chance to sweep really all those series. I mean, you could argue the Orioles were in a spot to win all nine of these games. Ended up winning six of them. Still a good homestand. Still in first place in the AL East. But I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles. 10-5 loss to the White Sox on Wednesday, of course. Still won that series again. And still in first place in the American League East. Now, as I record this here, kind of late on Wednesday afternoon, the Rays and Miami Marlins have yet to start their game. Rays just went in and clobbered the Marlins 11-2 on Tuesday night. Hopefully, the Marlins can hit them back here on Wednesday. If it is another Rays win, Orioles would go into the weekend with a game-and-a-half lead on Tampa. If it flips the other way, if the Marlins can win that game, the lead will still be two and a half games for the Orioles over the Rays. So either way, the O's at 83 and 50 will still sit in first place heading to Arizona this weekend. But I wanted to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles 10 to 5 loss to the White Sox on Wednesday afternoon. And the first thing you need to know is it was another rough day for Kyle Gibson, who was spotted a big lead. Like he put up a 1-2-3 first inning. O's got him four in the bottom of the first, which we'll talk about. And he comes out there in the second up for nothing. And, um, well, he had recorded just one out in the second before it was 4-4. Four to four. Things did not go very well after that first inning for Kyle Gibson. Came out in the second, Aloy Jimenez single, Andrew Vaughn homer, Yasmani Grandal single, Elvis Andrus ground out, Oscar Colas two-run homer. All of a sudden, it's 4-4. Four to four. And he gets out of that inning, and then he comes back out there in the third, and things get worse. A three-run third for the White Sox, and all of a sudden, they lead... 7-4 to four after Luis Robert leads it off with a homer, then an Aloy double, then an Andrew Vaughn double. Andrew's single, it just, it got out of hand. It was 7-4. to four. Now, Gibson did recover a bit, and this is one nice thing about Kyle Gibson, is you're not expecting him to be your ace, right? But even when he does struggle, he generally can get you a few more outs than you would think. Like, most people would have pulled him in that third inning. He pitched into the fifth. Now, granted, it's, it was still four in a third inning, seven runs, nine hits, but Three homers as well. Didn't walk anybody, struck out two, and the White Sox teed off on him. But you know, there's a lot of pitchers who'd be done after two innings in that start. Either way, we've seen this a couple of times recently from Kyle Gibson. He now has a 7.89 ERA in five starts in August. And it's been a really weird August for Kyle Gibson, right? He started off with that great start against the Mets, seven innings, three runs. Then he had, like, you know, a couple of really bad starts, I would say. One is this one. The other one was in Seattle where he got clobbered on that Friday night. Then he had one, like, okay start. It was, like, five innings of four-run ball. He was just fine. You know, got a little unlucky. And then he had another really good start his last time out. I mean, a lot of people just completely forgot that the last time he pitched, he went eight innings of three-run ball on Thursday against the Blue Jays to clinch a series against a division rival. Like, that was one of his best starts of the year, his last time out. And then he gives up seven runs in four and a third the next time. So you just kind of don't know right now from the 35-year-old Kyle Gibson. Now, 
again, we're not really going to dive like fully into the stuff from Kyle Gibson on Wednesday. I mean, he just got hit hard. He was in the middle of the plate a lot. It wasn't very good. He kind of found the sweeper later in the game. That's why he was able to pitch into the fifth because the sweeper allowed him to get a little deeper. But otherwise, everything was in the middle of the plate. The velocity was actually up for most of his pitches, but the location was not. He was getting hit and hit and hit. But here's the thing, like, I got a lot of blowback for this on Twitter on Wednesday. and I thought this take was kind of like a lukewarm take, to be honest, like not one of my hottest of all time. And I have never taken the heat like that. So I guess I just got to wear it. I said that right now in a playoff series, and I said the ALDS, but there's a situation where maybe the O's could use three starters in the ALDS. If they're only going to use three, I would go with Rodriguez, Bradish, and Kramer, I think. Everybody knows how that's going to go. But whether it's the ALDS, you know, there's a couple off days built in, but they are doing a six-man rotation, so you got to see how guys are feeling. Or if it's, you know, they get to the ALCS, you need four starters in the ALCS. I'd still put Kyle Gibson in that fourth spot. I mean, he's given the Orioles 14 quality starts this season. He's shown that he's the only Oriole who can consistently pitch deep into ball games. I mean, he's the only Oriole who's pitched into the eighth, and he's the only Oriole who has completed eight innings. And that was in his last start before Wednesday. Yes, I know he wasn't good down the stretch last year with the Phillies. He lost his rotation spot last September with Philadelphia. And while he was on their playoff roster, he was basically the mop-up guy throughout the playoffs for Philly as they made their run to the World Series. He did not get a start in the postseason last year. And he's starting to kind of falter a bit down the stretch this year here in August. And it was kind of bad in August. And then he was terrible in September, lost his rotation spot last year. We'll see what he can do in September. He's going to continue to stay in this Orioles six-man rotation. There's Unless he has like three straight starts that look like that, he's going to stay in the O's rotation for the rest of the year. But it will be interesting to see what they would do. Now, to me, as I said again, I would go Bradish game one, Rodriguez game two, Kramer game three. You're going to tell me right now, and this is what a lot of the pushback was, that you would easily, without having a conversation, choose Cole Irvin, who has been solid since rejoining the Orioles rotation. But remember hasn't been trustworthy yet, was terrible early in the year and spent a good chunk of the season in AAA. Also, never really pitched in the playoffs. You would go with Jack Flaherty, who, when the O's made that trade, I thought he was the nice number four starter to put in a playoff rotation because he's done it before with St. Louis. But since then, we've seen him struggle and have this whole situation getting pushed back, which yeah, they said general soreness, but... Just, yeah, there's an issue there. And then beyond that, your other option is John Means, who if John Means were two years ago, John Means, of course he's one of those four guys. But I had a lot of people saying, why would it be Gibson? It's going to be John Means. You're going to tell me right now on August 31st that you are putting your full faith of a playoff game in a pitcher who hasn't thrown an MLB pitch since April of 2022 who's never thrown a pitch in the postseason. And although he has made a few rehab starts and is going to be back, it looks like, and at least mostly healthy in September, his velocity is not fully back. It's not like he's dominating guys in the minors right now. There's still a lot of questions to be answered for John Means. I'm not ready to just pencil him in and say he's going to be back. You never know how guys are going to respond from Tommy John surgery. That's a lot to put on a guy like that. So when you Consider that as the four options for your fourth playoff starter. From what Gibson has given the Orioles this year, the good has still been good this year when Gibson's been good. Now, the bad has been really bad and, and worse than some of the other starters, but 
you know, some of the Dean Kramer blowups have been disastrous. Jack Flaherty, disastrous. Cole Irvin, disastrous when they've been bad. Same as Gibson. But the good has been better for Gibson than it's been for some of those guys. So right now, I didn't think it was that hot of a take to say that Kyle Gibson be the O's number four starter and I would give him the ball in the playoffs. Apparently that was unreasonable. We'll see how it plays out. But he's going to stick in the rotation for now. Second thing you know from, or you need to know, you might know it already, but you do need to know it from Wednesday's 10-5 loss to the White Sox is that Anthony Santander stayed red hot. Just talked about how he had the big game on Tuesday. He's had a big week. It continued on Wednesday. Santander, I mean, the O's missed him so badly. He was struggling early in August, and he missed about four games with the little back injury. Since he's come back, he's been unreal. Santander on Wednesday, two for four with a double, a homer, and two RBIs. Santander in the last eight games, that is since returning from the little back issue that didn't put him on the injured list but had him miss a few days, 14 for 33. That is a 424 batting average. Three doubles, five homers, 14 RBIs, and a 54% hard hit rate in his eight games since he returned to the lineup. This is the Santander we know and love. This is a guy who can power an offense and carry an offense in the middle of the order. He is sizzling hot right now at the plate. Third thing you need to know from the Orioles' loss on Wednesday is that the O's offense did have a big inning in this one, but it kind of flipped in this game. It was early instead of late. As I talked about, they had a five-run eighth on Monday, had a five-run eighth on Tuesday, followed up with a four-run first on Wednesday after Gibson did put up a zero in the top of the first inning. Orioles went out there against Dylan Cease, the White Sox' best starter, and just ripped him in that first inning. Gunnar Henderson leads off with a double. Then a Santander RBI double makes it 1-0. Then an O'Hearn RBI single makes it 2-0. Then an Adam Frazier RBI single later makes it 3-0. Jordan Westberg sack fly, and it's 4-0 in the first inning. And now the O's didn't do much more. They had Santander's homer, which came in the third, which made it 7-5 at that point after Gibson had given up the lead. But they didn't score or really do much at all in the final six innings offensively. They did put the first two on in the ninth, but couldn't capitalize there. And so... The offense did go away a little bit late in this game, but it was still nice to see them jump on a starter early. And, I mean, they just bludgeoned him. And it is unfortunate, clearly, for the O's to not win this game, considering you get four in the first and get yourself a lead like that against a bad team. But it was nice to see the offense do that once again. And there was a little struggle for the Orioles' offense throughout August. It feels like over the last few games, they're really rounding back into form. I know it's been against bad pitching, right, in Colorado and Chicago, but they've beat bad teams, and they continue to do that. Fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' loss on Wednesday is that uh, Austin Voth was not so great either after he relieved Kyle Gibson in the fifth inning. Did a good job getting the final two outs of the fifth to keep it at a 7-5 to game, but Voth went back out there in the sixth and things got away from his final line after he had thrown two scoreless on Sunday in his first outing back from that elbow injury that kept him on the injured list for you know a few months there. He goes an inning in two-thirds, three runs on three hits with two Ks and a walk on 37 pitches. Now, we didn't get a lot of help from Cedric Mullins, who let a ball bounce by him that should have been a single and turned into a triple. They initially gave Mullins an error, which would have been his second error of the game and would have given him his only career two-error game. They then changed it to a triple later in the game. Either way, it was not a good play out there. But both didn't really pitch well either. Luckily, the rest of the Orioles' bullpen did put up zeros after both left the game. D.L. Hall a scoreless seventh, C.N.L. Perez a scoreless eighth, and Jacob Webb a scoreless ninth. But... Each of those guys put two base runners on, like Hall had a hit and a walk allowed, CNL Perez allowed two hits, Webb walked two batters. They all got out of those jams, but
but they weren't exactly perfect in any of those innings. So it was not a banner outing for really any of the five Orioles pitchers on Wednesday. Let's let's just put it that way. And that shows on the scoreboard when you give up 10 runs on 15 hits. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' 10-5 loss to the White Sox on Wednesday is that Ryan Mountcastle walked. And now, he didn't have an amazing day. He was 0-3 with a strikeout and that walk. It was the only time he reached base. But the reason why this is so important is because, you know, Mountcastle had that streak of 28 consecutive games on base snapped last week. But he's started a new streak since then. He's now been on base in 34 of his last 35 games. And the biggest reason, besides the fact that he's, you know, hitting 370 in August... The biggest reason why he's been able to continue a streak like that is that he's walking more than ever before. He got that walk on Wednesday. He now has a 12.8% walk rate in the month of August. And that's going to be his walk rate in August because, again, the Orioles are off today on August 31st. A 12.8% walk rate in any single month is the highest of any month of Ryan Mountcastle's career. Combine that with like the 370 average in the month, the production for him, getting back from the vertigo. I think August 2023, arguably, with the fact that his batter's eye got so much better, he laid off less and less pitches, the chasing was down, was the best and most encouraging month of Ryan Mountcastle's career. If he can just get to the point where he's below average in terms of chase rate, because he's been historically bad, if he can get it up to just not great, maybe. He becomes such a better player. And he was up above not great. He was like into solid category in terms of not chasing pitches this month. If it stays that way, watch out for Ryan Mountcastle. But despite what him and some of the Orioles' offensive pieces did Wednesday, pitching wasn't there, lost 10-5, to lost the game, couldn't get the sweep, but the Orioles win another series and they won all three series on this homestand. Now, they do have the day off today before heading to Arizona this weekend. But before we go here on the pod, just a few Orioles news and notes to get to. And I'll talk about those coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So the Orioles take two out of three from the White Sox, not able to quite sweep them on Wednesday, losing 10 to five, but still get themselves a series win heading into a day off today. But wanted to get you just a few Orioles news and notes before we let you go here on a Thursday podcast. Wanted to start with Austin Hayes, who was once again, not in the lineup on Wednesday. Now Adley Rutschman got almost a full day off as well. He did pinch hit in the ninth and then granted into a game ending double play, but Hayes did not play again. He also didn't play Monday. Started in left field on Tuesday, made a nice catch in the eighth inning, robbing Luis Robert, slammed into the wall, hurt his, not hurt his knee, but hit his knee, I'll say, and came hobbling back to the bench. Hasn't been really out there much since then. We also saw him kind of limping around the bases this weekend against the Rockies. 
Brandon Hyde has said both times, Monday and Wednesday, is just a day off for Hayes. Hasn't indicated any injury, but he certainly looks banged up. And we know how banged up he was last year when he played through it in the second half and was terrible at the plate. He's been much more productive at the plate in the second half this year, but he still looks banged up. So just something to monitor here. A day off should be nice. We'll see what that Orioles lineup looks like on Friday night. Now, speaking of banged up, Adam Frazier has certainly been playing banged up since all the way back on August 3rd when he injured that thumb. Every time he's been out there since then, he's had that thumb and some of his hand like fully wrapped up on his throwing hand. He missed a few days after the initial injury. Then he was back in the lineup. Then he was out of the lineup again, really in mid-August, missed three or four days. Frazier talked to Rockabaco of Masson for an article earlier this week where Frazier kind of said that he finally feels like now this week, the thumb is feeling good again, and he feels like he's kind of back to 100% or at least close to it. Now, he's still playing with it wrapped up, so I wouldn't call him 100% until he's got nothing more on the hand, but seems like he's at 95% or above, and that has led to him playing more. We've seen him at second base. We've seen him in right field. We've seen him in left field already this week, so they're more willing to move him around a little bit more because that throwing hand is feeling better. Yeah, he would play off the bench in stretches, you know, come in as a left-handed pinch hitter, but we weren't seeing him start nearly as much recently, but then Frazier was, you know, in that starting lineup all three days this week in this series against the White Sox, so it seems to me he's kind of back to it health-wise. Now, Frazier hasn't been terrible, hasn't been amazing, he's kind of been in between, you know, much more power than he's ever shown, still doesn't really strike out, still, you know, doesn't really walk a whole lot, puts the ball in play, defense is kind of tanked at second base, you know, we'll see where that leads to, but He's kind of in an interesting spot, right, moving forward with this Orioles team. Like, Jordan Westberg is a better player, but Frazier has been there before in these spots, and Westberg is a fresh rookie. It'll be really interesting to see how the Orioles manage those two along with Ramon Arias to kind of move them around, especially as we get to September and the Orioles add another hitter to this team when rosters expand. Aaron Hicks, we got an update on him this week as well. Brandon Hyde saying that uh, he is running and taking BP. Rockabaco wrote about this this week as well. It's a lower back strain this time that has put Hicks on the injured list. Hicks says he is hoping to be back for the Angels series, which starts Monday in Anaheim. So that would you know be pretty soon for him to be back. Now, it wouldn't line up perfectly with this Friday, which is the day when rosters expand. So he couldn't be, it seems like, the extra hitter added to the roster. But if they do want to bring him back next week, that'll be a really interesting puzzle for the Orioles to play out. I'm not sure how big a role Hicks will play down the stretch with this Orioles team if he does come back healthy. However, it feels like with the veteran leadership, the presence, and the fact that the bat's been much better since he signed with the O's, it feels like the O's want him around on this team down the stretch. So I'm really interested to see how they configure that part of the roster as well. And then finally, just wanted to touch on this weird waiver situation that came through on Tuesday. Started with the Angels waving like a bunch of their veteran players who are pending free agents. Lucas Giolito, the starting pitcher, Ronaldo Lopez, good reliever. You know, they waved Matt Moore. They waved Hunter Renfro, among others. Uh, then the Yankees waved Harrison Bader. You saw the, the Tigers put Jose Cisnero, one of their veteran relievers, on waivers. This is one of the products of the waiver deadline, which used to exist, not existing anymore. But this is kind of a really weird thing. I mean, especially for the Angels, who completely went for it at the deadline, have tanked since then, and now are saying... We need to cut this salary. The reason they put these guys on waivers is if anyone claims them, that team plays the, pays the remainder of their salary for the season, and the Angels are just over the luxury tax threshold. So with waiving these players, it'll get them back below it, and they won't have to pay the penalties. Basically, it's Artie Moreno being a John Angelos-style cheap owner. Now, he's not John Angelos-level. I mean, he's got some high-paid players, some very high-paid players on that team. But still, even with that, they can still act cheap, and that's what he's doing. 
Now, in terms of this affecting the Orioles, I mean, you're looking at players like Giolito, like Lopez, Matt Moore, Cisnero. I mean, all these guys could help the O's in some capacity. Like, I could see if any of these guys getting to the O's, the O's making a claim on all of these guys. The issue is, the way the waiver order works is, in the new CBA, it's now in reverse order of every team in baseball. It used to be reverse order of the teams in your league, so all the AL teams would get a crack at that player before it went to the NL. Now it's done a better way, which is reverse order for the entire league. The Orioles have the second best record in baseball, which means the Orioles are 29th on the waiver order. They're only ahead of the Braves in terms of getting a chance to claim one of these guys. I highly, highly doubt any of these players make it through 28 teams, or I guess I should say 27 teams because you know the team that waived them doesn't get a chance. But I highly doubt the Orioles make it through 27 teams and get a chance to claim any of these players. But if for some reason they would, those would have a chance to go after any of these guys to help them down the stretch in September. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for being patient as I took the day off Wednesday on the pod. But we'll be back tomorrow, one final episode for the week, giving out August awards as the month of August is over for the Orioles. It was a great month for the O's as they remained in first place. We'll highlight some of the best performances from players and games and everything in between. And then we'll look forward to September, previewing the weekend series between the Orioles and the Diamondbacks and making my final prediction on who those two September call-ups will be on Friday as rosters expand from 26 to 28. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.